Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Have you ever heard of the concept circular reasoning? You ever heard of that? Some of you here in the room have. Circular reasoning, circular answers, circular explanations. Circular logic, essentially what circular reasoning is, is making an argument that already contains the assumption of what is to be proved. So instead of actually providing an, a, a, a data or an, or an argument that supports your previous argument, you're basically just looping around and saying the same thing twice. I found myself recently getting caught in a circular argument or using circular reason uh, as a dad, um, I find two parties use circular reasoning the most, politicians and parents. Um, for example, you might hear politicians saying, you know, we need to fight against climate change, so we're going to raise your taxes. And when you push back and say, how does raising my taxes save the planet? And they say, because we have to save the planet. Right? There's not really an actual... You get it? You gather. Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's using language to kind of loop around but not really provide an actual explanation. Politicians do it all the time. I remember hearing a quote. This is an actual quote from Kamala Harris. They're like, oh, he's getting political today. I'm not really. We're just having a little bit of fun. But she was asked, why are these times so important? And here it is verbatim. I think it's very important for us at every moment in time and certainly this time, to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present. <laughs> End quote. That's, that's circular reasoning. There's no real actual logic to it. There's no actual explanation. It's just looping around and saying the same thing you said previous. Now, I found myself saying, it's amazing how as parents we can find ourselves, like as you grow as an adult and you become a father or a mother, how many of you have had those eerie moments of realization that I'm becoming my parent? You ever had those? Like I noticed at Costco when I was eyeballing the stretchy jeans. I'm like, I'm becoming my dad. I'm becoming my dad. I use words like gang. What are we doing, gang? You know, it's like you just start slowly becoming your parent. And I remember having one of those realizations when I had one of my teenage kids push back on something I'd asked them to do, and they said, why? And my answer was, because <laughs> you do it too. Yeah, because I said so. That's not actually an answer, and pro tip, teens know that's not actually an answer, uh, but we use it nonetheless, and you will too, teens, when you become a parent. It's, it's... But it's circular logic that doesn't actually provide any depth of reason, it, it, doesn't, it won't pass any level of scrutiny when you give circular answers. And I bring this up because circular reasoning has actually hurt the church in our evangelistic efforts. A lot of us as believers, we can recite what the gospel is. Like we talked about last week, we've been breaking down what the gospel is. And you might be able to say, oh, Jesus died, Jesus came, Jesus rose again, he's coming again. You might be able to say those things, but then when someone asks you, why is that good news? Can you give them an answer? Beyond looping back around and saying, well, it's good news because Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose and he's coming again. Yeah, but why is that good news? I want to take a few minutes in our Ask Me About Jesus series today and I want to dive a little bit deeper to help you understand the reason why the good news is actually good news. And I want to break down some of those components today and answer that question. We have, for the last handful of weeks, been looking at this concept about sharing our faith and talking about what we talk about when we talk about Jesus. And for the last several weeks, we've explored, you know, the intellectual argument around theism and believing in the gospel. And we, we took, looked at our reasons and logic. We looked at the idea of reconciliation and the, the covenant with Pastor Rick Cavanaugh. Uh, we talked about uh, the good news report last week about here's the actual breakdown of the good news. And then this week, I want to break it down a little bit deeper. And I want to answer the question, why is why is the gospel good news? This has been our central text this whole time in an effort to be ready 
It says in 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And my prayer has been over these last few weeks, two things. I've been praying, and I just pray it again, that God, by the Holy Spirit, would move us from having concepts to conviction, and that we've moved from principles to actually having personal understanding of the good news of, the, of Jesus and why it's good news. And today I want to ask that question. Why is the good news good news? Can we go further than just explaining that something happened? And can we actually explain why the thing that happened is game-changing? Because I think we are in a time right now where answers that can't pass a tiny bit of investigation and a tiny bit of scrutiny just won't stand up. We have been in the last decade just insatiated with superficial ideas and promises and ideologies, and the public are starting to rise up and wake up to the fact that, you know what? You can't just say something and not be able to back it up. There's an actual generation that's rising up. Well, I don't know if you noticed this in our teens, but their BS meter is dialed in. You know what I'm saying? Like, they smell it, and they are not satisfied with cheap, superficial answers. And we, as the people of God, I believe in this moment, have got to get a grip on why it is we believe what we believe and why we say that a man named Jesus came, and he lived, and he taught, and he healed, and he moved, and then he died, executed on a Roman cross, and on the third day, he rose again, and people saw him, and he ascended to heaven, and he's coming again we got to get our story straight, and we've been doing that, but we also have to know why our story matters. Can I get an amen? amen. Like, you, you have to know the reason it's good news. You have to be able to explain, and I've been feeling challenged. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a lot today. You're going to drink from a fire hydrant, but I, I've, been hit, I've been challenged that, man, how many things in our lives do we know details? Like, if I asked you guys about your fantasy football teams, you'd be able to tell me the stats of some running back for the Detroit Lions, and you'd be able to give me all that information. But when it comes to the information that we say changes everything, we don't, we don't have a very, de very much depth of understanding. My hope has been in this last handful of weeks that we as a church are getting deeper roots into the hope of the gospel so that not only does it transform our lives, but it will flow more naturally through us when we tell others about Jesus. We can't explain what we haven't experienced. Amen? And so today I want to ask the question, why is the good news of Jesus good news? I got seven reasons. Going to go fast, though, I promise. <laughs> Take it off with Paul. It's in chapter 5. I got seven reasons, seven observations why the gospel is the greatest news ever. And so my prayer just today is just going to give you a, a, a deepening understanding of why the gospel is the best news ever of all time. Now, I'm just going to scratch the surface. Lord, help me not have to dive too deep in because we don't have time for that. Books and books and books have been written. Series have been done on everything I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to spend like three minutes on each one, but it's important you get this. Are you ready? Can you lean in? Can you take some notes? Can you humor, can you humor a brother and just like lean in? Because this stuff is super important. And, it's, and you're going to come into, a, I promise you, if you're following Jesus, you're going to come into a moment in your life where someone pushes and says, can you explain why this matters? And you need to be equipped for that. So let's dive in. Romans chapter 5. This is one of the best explanations of why the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. This whole chapter, Paul lays it out beautifully. Let's dive in. Let's do some Bible study. So just keep it open. Romans chapter 5. Let's look at it. It says, therefore, uh, what... If you ever read in the Bible and you see a therefore, you ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And if you read the end of chapter 4, Paul just said that Jesus came and was crucified and died. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Let's stop there. So the first thing that Paul talks about, so Jesus came and he died, he was crucified. And the first thing that he wants to highlight for us that this accomplished is that we are actually given, what? Peace with who? Yeah, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Jesus has first and foremost, and this is foundational, and you've got to get a grip on this, that the justification of Jesus, the, the gift of grace, the first thing that you need to understand accomplished for you is it, 
it made peace with God. Between you and God, there has been peace made through Jesus. Here's, here's the first point for you note takers. The gospel of Jesus is good news because through Jesus, we have been given what? Peace with God. Peace with God. There's this concept in the scripture called atonement. And atonement is this idea. If you read Leviticus, it's all about atonement. And it's this idea of an exchange and a removal of sinfulness to bring right relationship between people and God. That's what the whole sacrificial system is about. But what we find out in the gospel is the sacrificial system in Leviticus was just a foreshadow or a shadow of what Jesus was ultimately coming to do to be the one sacrifice once and for all, perfect and pleasing and eternal for all people, all time. And this is this idea of atonement, and this is why it's such good news, because the claim of Christianity is this, that Jesus' death on the cross first and foremost made peace with sinful people and a holy God. Now, I know, I know this idea of being sinful is not a politically correct or popular opinion, but the Bible states it very clearly that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the grace of God is that he sent his son to atone for our sins and make peace with God. Here, here's the Christian claim. Let me say it like this. Jesus' death has dealt with the problem of sin by taking on the penalty of sin in our place. It's an unimaginable idea of this point of, of eternal exchange where Jesus absorbs our sin and our punishment and our pain and our death so that we can be made right with God. Can I get an amen? amen. This is really good news. This, this concept that Jesus is the one true and sufficient sacrifice for human sin, that in him the justice and mercy of God coincides and our guilt has been dealt with and we have peace with God. You know, sometimes when you think about Jesus dying on the cross, and, and you're not alone in this, all of us think this, you know, did Jesus really have to die? You ever had that thought? Did he have to die on the cross? And the claim that the Bible makes is that the wages of sin is death, that to participate in sin in any way separates us from God and puts us at odds with God. And the penalty of that, of sinning against an infinite living God, is death. And yet, here's the conundrum. The Bible would put forward a, a conundrum, and that is this. How can a holy God, perfect and, just, and perfect and just in all his ways, how can a holy God condemn sin, stay with me, but not destroy sinners whom he loves. Do you understand? If, if sin is in you and God is holy and, and just, you would never call a judge just who turns a blind eye to an infraction, would you? If there, a, a, a mass murderer went through Atlantic Canada and the, the police caught him and they brought him before the judge and the judge pretended it like it never happened, we would not say that's a good judge, would we? We say, no, justice has not been served. How does God serve justice on sinful humanity without condemning us along with our sin? This is the brilliance and mystery of the cross. That on the cross, the wrath and justice of God was poured out, but it's simultaneously the place of mercy where God, instead of sentencing us to death, get this, he rightly says, sin deserves death. However, I'm going to pay your penalty and I'm going to serve your sentence myself. That's unimaginable. Can you imagine being before a court and being convicted of death and then the judge saying, I'm going to die for you? That's in effect what Jesus has done for us. He's made peace with God. The connotation is we have been brought into eternal and perfect right standing with God through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. He is the only way. Here's the facts. If you are in your sin and apart from Christ, you are at odds with God. The Bible actually says it even more harshly. That there's enmity, that you are an enemy of God. That you aren't right with God at all. God loves everybody, but you are at odds with God if you are in your sin. But the grace of God brings us into right relationship with him. It makes peace with him. Paul said it like this in Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by what? Our efforts? No, his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood to be received by humble faith. What a mystery. It's this incredible idea. Now, I just want to press this on us for a minute. You know, that, uh, that line often gets missed in Amazing Grace. It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to what? You know what? To fear. To fear what? Or who? Fear the Lord. Do you know the greatest problem facing human beings is not the economy, it's not your physical health, it's not even your mortality. It's a holy, eternal God that you will face someday. That's the greatest thing that any human being has got to consider in their existence. And this is why Amazing Grace says it's amazing because it was grace that revealed that to me. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. It's incredible. A.W. Tozer said in one of my favorite books of all time, he said this about the problem of God. All the problems of heaven and earth, though they were to confront us together and at once, would be nothing compared with the overwhelming problem of God that he is and what he is like and what we as moral beings must do about him. The man who comes to a right belief about God is revealed of 10,000 temporal problems for he sees at once that these have to do with matters which at most cannot concern him for very long. They're temporary. But even if the multiple burdens of time may be lifted from upon him, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down upon him with a weight more crushing than all the woes of the world piled one upon another. That mighty burden is his obligation to God. It includes an instant and lifelong duty to God to love with every power of mind and soul, to obey him perfectly and worship him acceptably. And when the man's laboring conscience tells him that he has done none of these things but has from childhood been guilty of foul revolt against the majesty in the heavens, the inner pressure of self-accusation becomes too heavy to bear. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. But the gospel can lift this destroying burden from the mind, give beauty for ashes, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Can I get an amen? Can Tozer get an amen? Unless the weight of the burden is felt, the gospel can mean nothing to the man. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. First and foremost, God is holy, and our sin puts us at odds with God, but the, the mystery and wonder of the cross is that God has made peace with us through, his, through his, the grace and blood of his son. Amen. Let's keep going. So he made peace. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, and it goes further than just peace with God. Look what he said. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. So we not only have peace, but now it's talking about access. How many of you know, like, how many of you ever, you know, had a, maybe a relationship gone wrong, and you restored it enough that, like, you made peace, but you weren't still, like, in good relationship? You know, you know that to be true? Like, we're just, it's neutral. We're civil. But that's not what the gospel has done. The gospel has not just made peace where God says, hey, I'm not, I'm not we're good, uh, you know, you're not counting your sins against you, but it goes further. It gives us access. Paul is speaking about a new identity that we have before the Almighty where he's no longer just a holy God, although he is, but we now have access to him as a father. Oh, man. Like, it becomes really good news. So here, here's the second point. The gospel is good news because through Jesus we've been given access to God. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. This is an unimaginable mystery. The, the claim is this. Let's break it down. That the exchange that took place on the cross was total. In that, it brought sinful people, once enemies of God, alienated from God, into a position of sonship. So it did not just forgive you halfway or forgive you fully, but it took you beyond forgiveness into acceptance. So that, someone needs to hear that today. That, that God's not just not mad at you. That the grace of Jesus hasn't just dealt with your past, but it's brought you in access to right relationship with the Father. That's incredible. Can I just say that, that per, perhaps the most revolutionary, transformative revelation you can ever have 
is when you have a revelation of sonship or daughtership. When you realize that God sees you as a son or daughter. Uh, When you are in Christ, God sees you as his son in whom he is well pleased. This is why Jesus said when he was explaining what the kingdom is like, he used the parable about the, the prodigal son who squandered the wealth of the father, offended every, everybody in the father's household and left, and then had this realization that it, to be a servant in my father's household is better to be, than being out here on my own. Goes back to the father and asks, can I be a servant? The father says, no, you can't. You're my son. And he pulls him back all the way into access into the father's household. That's what this is getting at, that we've been given access with the father that the grace of Jesus has brought, brought us into inheritance. Through Jesus, we've been not only assuaged of our guilt, but we've been awarded his standing and the inheritance due, this, due to the Son of God. That's, that's incredible. That should blow your mind. Like when God sees you, he sees his child. Can I just say, like, not everybody is a child of God. Unpopular opinion, but you will hear that, you will hear that being said. All, God, all God's children all around the world... God made everybody. God loves everybody. Everybody's made in his image and everybody has inherent value, but we're not all children of God. If you are not in Christ, you are an enemy of God. But when you become a Christian and you follow Jesus, you are brought into sonship. I had a funny moment this week. Uh, walked into our boardroom and Dan, Pastor Dan and Pastor Anthony were meeting and they had this same shirt on. I walked in and we're all like, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? I'm a child of God. How are we a child of God? It's not because we put on a sweatshirt. It's because we put on a new identity in Christ. And that the grace of Jesus has actually clothed us in a new position with God. It's really important that you understand that. Why is the gospel good news? Because God has not just given us a clear conscience before him, but we have confidence because he sees all who are in Christ as the son in whom he is well pleased. Can I just speak that over you today? You might be like, well, I'm not pleased with myself. If you are in Christ, God is pleased with you. It's incredible. It's good news. Let's keep going. I told you I was moving fast. Oh, here's, a, here's one that backs that up. See what great love the Father lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Let's keep going. So he says, we've been We've been given access through Jesus. And then it says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Here's another mystery of the good news. Here's another reason the good news is good news. Is that through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Jesus said, it's actually better that I go than if I were to stay, because when I go, I'm not just going to be around you, but my presence, my spirit is going to be in you, and upon you, and go before you. And this is what Paul is talking about, that if you are in Christ, that he actually pours his very presence into you, that we carry the spirit of God, that we can know him intimately in our day-to-day lives. Here's another reason why it's good news. The gospel is good news because through Jesus we have been given his presence. We've been given the very spirit of God. Here's the claim. The death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus paved the way for the very living presence of God to dwell within sinful but now righteous through Jesus, right? You with me? So like this is a lot. Yes, it is, but write it down. The full reconciliation or reconnection to our original design. So if you read the start of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about how God created everything. It talks about how God made man in his image, but he wasn't done making man until it says in Genesis 2, it says he breathed the breath of life into the man and man became a living soul, a living being. That to be fully human is actually to be, have an intimate union and connection with the breath, the spirit of the living God. And that sin has separated us from that, but through Jesus, he has recreated, he's he's restored broken creation in us that we can know and live and move and breathe with the Spirit of God in us. That's an incredible, incredible mystery. So here's here's the concept, that God's presence dwells within us at the moment of conversion, 
And then he empowers us, anoints us, equips us, transforms us, and most of all assures us that we belong to him. How do you know that you belong to Jesus? Ultimately, the Holy Spirit will tell your heart. Like Paul said in Romans 8, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So you live in fear, but it brings about the adoption of sonship and, and tells you that you belong to him. The, the, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we belong to him. It's ultimately what's happening. So here's the connotation. The believer lives a life full of power and purpose and peace that comes from God's presence. I want, to, I want you to understand this, King's Church. Like, to be a believer is more than just, you know, subscribing to a set of beliefs that will someday kick in and mean something to you. To be, to be a follower of Jesus is to actually have the very spirit of the living God living within you. That, that's similar to the way that Jesus burst out of death and new creation began. When you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit of God, is, it, it bursts out of the death of your soul and brings new life. And you begin this ongoing, intimate, dynamic life in learning to follow, love, and live with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He's fully God. And we believe that we ha live and move and have our being with him. This changes everything. Uh, one of my favorite Christian historical figures is a guy named John Wesley. And uh, he, what, if you read about his life, it was wild. Like, he, he led millions of people to the Lord. And even to this day, some of the stuff that he taught and practices he put in place, the church is still benefiting from. The guy lived a wild life, like, just saw everything. Uh, he experienced it all. And on his deathbed, the last thing he said is this famous quote, best of all, God with us. You know, I've tasted and seen everything this world has to offer. He, he made a lot of money, gave it all away, he had family, he had friends, he, he had significant meaning, just adventure, all the things that we long for in this life. And he said, you know what the best thing I've found in this life is? God's presence. It's the very best. It's good news because Jesus' death and resurrection allows us to have right relationship with God, not just philosophically, but intimately. Amen? Let's keep going. So Paul says, now you see, so the love of God's poured into our hearts, verse 6, you see that at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Here's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole, of the whole Bible, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an incredible verse. So he keeps going, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I think it's important that we talk about this for a minute. Paul goes on and says that God, while you were yet sinners, died in your place and through that death, we now, how much more, he says, have been saved from God's what? Wrath. Now, what's he talking about? So the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, but he's also talking about being saved from, from that same wrath. Well, here's something you have to understand. That there is coming a day where God will ultimately deal with sin, Satan, death, everything that degrades and destroys this creation. Like, you read the end of the book, it talks about how Jesus will return. It's called the day of the Lord. And he will finally and ultimately rid the creation of death, sin, the powers and principalities of darkness. It will be eradicated. That should stir your heart. That's very good news. But understand something. If you do not belong to Jesus and have not been made holy by him and allowed him to stand in your place as your advocate, you are subject to the wrath of God. That you, along with all else that is sinful and broken, will be quarantined forever. This is ultimately what Paul is talking about here. Why is the gospel good news? Because through Jesus we have been spared the wrath of God. That's absolutely an incredible thought that, that he has acquitted us and protected us 
from the wrath that is coming. And, and the, the longer I live in this world, the more I long for the wrath of God to come on it. I want God to save every human being and I want him to rid the cosmos of sin and suffering and death and loss and sickness and war and disease and famine. He's coming after it and he's going to remove it. But if you and I are not in right relationship with Jesus, with God through Jesus, we too will be removed from his creation. And this is ultimately what Paul is getting at, that we've been spared the coming wrath. Here's the claim. The death and resurrection of Jesus brings us into right standing with God, acquitting us of our guilt and approving us in final judgment. He's sparing us. There is a cosmic firing squad coming. And this is, the Bible is very clear about it. Like that God, God will destroy all that degrades his creation. And yet, through Jesus, we are not counted as enemies any longer. We are acquitted and we are made right. Here's the concept. Jesus' death has saved us from eternal death. And the cross is the final and ultimate ark of salvation given to mankind. The cross is your salvation. Why, why will God spare your judgment? Or why will God let you into heaven? There's one answer. Jesus died for me and he invited me in. There's a, great, there's a great clip going around online of one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish guy and he talked about, he's like, imagine, imagine the thief on the cross that in his last breath turned to Jesus and said, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And imagine when that thief entered into heaven and there's Paul and Peter and the saints and angels and they say to him, how did you get here? And he's, he doesn't say, well, let me tell you the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. He doesn't say, let me tell you about justification. He just says, look, all I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's it. That's, that's your story. When it comes to you living in God's perfect creation forever and ever, it's simply this. The man on the middle cross said I could be here too. I don't deserve it, but he invited me anyway. That's really good news. Because of Jesus, we are deemed not guilty and are not punished according to our sins. Uh, we, we, so we sung this line this morning here at the valley. I don't know if you guys did it at the other sites or not, but it's that, it's that hymn. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Why is the gospel good news? You've been pardoned a death row sentence. It's incredible. That should make you go, and wow. All right, we're getting there. Let's keep going. Are you with me? Okay, good. I feel like, I feel like you are paying attention, so that's good. I know, I know this is a little more work than the other ones, but it's important that you know this stuff. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not charged against anyone's account where there's no law. It's talking about how the law reveals sinfulness. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam, so sin entered the world through Adam, we're told, to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one. What's he talking about? He's talking about how sin is inherent in us. Whether we have the law to reveal it or not, every human being has sin in them because we, we descend from sinful fathers, ultimately Adam. He keeps going, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So see what he's doing? He's contrasting that just how you and I inherited sin from our father Adam, through Jesus we now inherit a whole different nature and a whole different standing. Look what he's saying. He goes, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? You hear what he's saying? This is really good news. Like, think about this. None of you ask to be a sinner. 
it was just natural. And how many of you parents know it's just natural? Like, you don't have to teach your kid to be a sinner. It's in us. We inherited it. And what this is saying is we actually inherit a whole new identity through Jesus. That just the same way that sin entered humanity through one man, now grace enters humanity through one man. Oh, that's some good news. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, we're all guilty of our sin, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So here's the good news. That through Jesus, we have been freed from condemnation. That the same way that through Adam, we have all been guilty of sin, through Jesus, we have been acquitted and absolved of our sin. That he has taken away our sin and given us a new standing and new nature before God. Let me, let me say it like this. Here's, here's the Christian claim. That the death of Jesus has paid in full the penalty of our sin and absolved us of any guilt And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So conceptually, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The same way you naturally were born in sin, when you are born again, you are naturally born into grace. Oh, Pastor Brent, that is some good news today. Like, like. It's bigger than you. Do you hear that? Like, that's what Paul's trying to say. I know it's hard to wrap your head around, but just hear this. Like, the same way that your sinfulness is bigger than you. There's things about it that's even involuntary, even though we participate. It's like it's deep. It's ingrained. It's, it's, It's interwoven with your identity. What he's saying here is when you are born again, you're born again in grace, and it's bigger than you. Like, oh, thanks, Kirk. Here's the connotations. We may not forget all the wrong we have done, but for those of us who are in Christ, God has cleared our history. So we are in perfect and right standing with God forever. Like it's so big and so solid and so eternal. Uh, Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. How far is east from the west? It's infinite. If I start heading east and you start heading west... We're not going to meet each other. We're just going to keep going this way and that way. And that's what the Bible's talking about. We are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. I had a, I was reminded of a great conversation I had with Pastor Pete Stubbs. He's our lead pastor in St. Stephen. Uh, Pete, you are doing an unbelievable job. And King Church, you need to know what God is doing in St. Stephen is just incredible. And we just pray for more of that. But I remember, like Pete, if you don't know his story, he was uh, an RCMP officer, very decorated, incredible in that career. But God had put a call to ministry in his life. And we were having those dialogues for a while, and then he finally decided, okay, I'm going to take the leap. I know God is calling me to this. I remember we were driving together. I forget where we were going. And we were just talking about, hey, what questions do you have about going into the ministry? I'm going to walk with you. We're going to figure this out. And uh, it's incredible how God prepared him for this. But he did say, you know, I do have, you know, I was thinking about this. He goes, you know, Brent, you, you know my past isn't perfect, right? Like, in, in fact, quote him, I have a rough past And there are some things I'm not proud of that I've done. And my response, I remember it, it was very quick. It was just, what past? The Pete past or the Jesus past? Is it the past that's covered in the grace of God, redeemed? Sounds to me like if you have a rough past, that's all the more reason to boast in Christ. And and this, this really is what we're talking about here. That when you belong to Jesus, like, You may not forget what you have done, but God has. It has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And you, again, the same way that your sinfulness was bigger than you, your righteousness is bigger than you. Like, like you can't can't undo it. You didn't didn't create it in the first place. It's really good news. So the gospel's good news. Amen? <laughs> All right, a couple, couple more. I'm almost done. I got, I got uh, one, two left. Can you do it? You did five already. How about that? And, and you need to appreciate your pastor's restraint today. 
Because you could do a whole series on every one of those yellow slides. could be a whole series. But we're just trying to give you the talking points and the touch points. And I'm praying the Spirit stirs that in your spirit. All right. So for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase or might reveal the trespass. The Ten Commandments are there to show us what's wrong in us doesn't change. It doesn't make things wrong in us. It's like an x-ray. It just shows that there's stuff broken in us. We fall short of God's standard. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, hallelujah, grace increased all the more. Oh, baby. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through, the right, through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? Yes. So this is a massive, massive concept. Our sins have not just been removed and our iniquity has not just been cleansed and the enemy nature has not just been shifted into sons and daughters of God. But get this, God doesn't just remove our past from us but he places distinction and glory and right standing and favor upon us. It's not just that you've been forgiven. It's not just that he's brought you back to like, hey, we're no longer at odds. Hear this. You are brought into his favor. Like, you're, 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 like it's not just that he doesn't look at you in the negative. You're not just neutral before him, but if you're in Christ, all of the righteousness and glory and perfect track record and power and purpose and peace of Christ rests on you. Like when, when, when Jesus said in the par parable of the prodigal son, the son comes back, the father goes out and grabs him and says, my son was dead and now he's alive. Come on in. You are a son again. But he doesn't just do that. He says, what are you wearing? It's like, that's not an outfit fit for a son. So he says he brings the, the, the robe, the family robe and the ring, and, and he, he decks him out in glory. Y'all, you are decked out in the glory of Jesus if you belong to him. I know our hearts convince us that we are like clothed in our past and our history and all that, and it is what it is at some level, but God will redeem it. We'll talk redemption next week. But hear me, if you belong to Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, when God sees you, he's like, wow, my son. I, I, I'm speaking to religious people here for a minute. How often, like in the church, are we measuring, like I was pretty good this week, or I wasn't that good this week, and we think that our righteousness fluctuates with our track record. It doesn't. Our righteousness is set in stone. Like it, it, is, it is bigger than us, placed upon us, and immovable as long as your faith is in, Je is in Jesus. It's absolutely incredible. So, so another key word, like it's, it's, it's incredible news because we have been made righteous. You're not just forgiven. You are righteous in Christ. Like I feel, I know there's resistance in our spirits because the, the enemy just wants to convince us and wants to condemn us and say, I know your track record. Here, here's some homework for you. Go home and read Zechariah chapter 3. And there is a prophetic picture in there of the accuser standing before the high priest of Israel. And he's clothed in rags and the accuser saying to the judge, Look at what he's done. And then it says, the angel of the Lord, who is a type of Christ, comes forward and says, let's remove those filthy rags from him and then clothe him in glory. And that is what Jesus has done for you. I, I don't care if you're, if you're new at this or, or you've, been at, you've been following Jesus for 40 years. You can't get any more glorious as far as God is concerned. If you are in Christ. So here, here's the claim. I'm almost done. The claim is this, that justification is not only to be absolved from sin, it means we have been adorned in the righteousness of Christ. And as for, as for our standing before God, we are clothed in the glory of his perfect son. Like, think about this. 
with the holy angels and myriads of angels that are worshiping God forever. And you think about the picture of, of heaven in the end, like no sin, nothing. Like there's a thing that tells us, like, I don't belong in that company. In and of yourself, no, you don't. In Christ, you absolutely do. You are a new creation. Jesus has achieved for us the perfection we were created for, but incapable of obtaining. That's some really good news. There is nothing we could do to make God more favorable to us. We are fully clothed in the righteousness of God. I've always had, I remember sharing this with Dan, Pastor Dan one time. I've always had a, an ongoing mental picture of myself as the prodigal son being invited back into the father's house. And, and I, I, like, you think about it. The prodigal son is invited back in, clothed in, in beautiful robes. They, ha- they throw a party for him. And I always have pictured myself at times where it's like, how long before I let myself just be the son and party too? Instead of standing there feeling awkward about the fact that I know what I did. And just allowing the identity that the Father has bestowed upon me to just be what it is. And can I just say that over some of you? Like, you don't have to feel awkward in the clothes that Christ has clothed you with. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. And yet, freely he gave it. At the cost of his own life. It's it's an incredible mystery. You cannot change your status with God. It can't get any better. This is good news. Here's the last thought. And uh, David, you want to play piano so you can let people know that I'm almost done? (laughs) Let's let's look at it one more time. There's one more key in here. So it's not just that we've been adorned in his righteousness, but, and this is huge, and this will open up way more things we can talk about even next week, but, you know, just as the, like the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring about something. It's not just about a positional grace, but it actually has an effect. It brings about, oh man. Like, it, it, the effect of the grace of Jesus is not just that he has made peace with God and that God no longer counts your sins against you. It's not even just that, like, he's hidden you from his wrath. It's, it's not simply that he's acquitted you of all wrongdoing and removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. It's not even just that he's clothed you in righteousness, and so when he sees you, he sees his son but the grace of God actually brings about eternal life. Like you live forever. <laughs> Why is that good news? Why is it good news? Why is the gospel of Jesus good news? Because his death has brought me eternal life. Like Jesus said in John 10, John 10, 10, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. The Greek word there is zoe. Zoe means like abundant forever life. It's it's not just life after your body dies and your soul goes to be with God. It's life even now, like full of peace and joy and hope and meaning and purpose and assurance and confidence and and, and peace instead of anxiety. Like it's, it's full abundant life now and forevermore. Through Jesus, it's good news because through Jesus, we have been made alive fundamentally, the gospel is not about God having made good, bad people good. It's about making dead people alive forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that life begins now. It's not just a someday thing. But the life of God begins even now. Here's the claim. The right standing relationship we have been given through the grace of God and Jesus produces everlasting life. If you're glad, say amen. Amen. Yeah. If you belong to Jesus, you live forever. (laughs) Sign me up. Death has been dealt with. The concept, grace not only deals with the problem of sin and separation from God, the penalty of sin, but it breaks the power of sin. 
it, it act, like the grace of Jesus breaks the power of sin. He disarmed the rulers and authorities so they have no claim on you. And he overcame death. It has no claim on you. So if he says, Brent, you shall live, I will live forever. It's, it's, it's according to his word. It breaks the power of sin, making eternal life available to anyone who is in Christ. Jesus changes everything for the one who humbles himself or herself and believes. I'm sold. Why is Jesus good news? Well, the good news is he came, he died, he rose, he's coming again. And because he did those things, I have been made right with God. My sins are forgiven. He looks at me as he looks at his son and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I have been given an inheritance. I've been set positioned with Christ. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I don't have to fear darkness or sickness or infirmity. I don't have to fear what's happening in society or culture because I know whose I am and I know who's for me. And I know I'm not his enemy. I'm his son. I know that there's coming for a, there's coming a day where he will return. And I'm not afraid of that because he has sheltered me from his wrath. I want him to come. I want him to remove sin. I am a believer of Jesus. Here's why. Because he has changed absolutely everything about my life. And that's your testimony. Would you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you today. Thank you for good news. And Holy Spirit, I just pray over King's Church right now. Even as we've looked at these concepts, would you, would you take it into conviction? Would you remove principles and points on a TV screen into a very personal revelation. And God, I pray just for grace right now. It's just Holy Spirit. I just pray for grace. Equip us, Lord, to be tellers and bringers of good news. Just Would you just open your hands, just all of our locations, just, Lord, we invite you, even this, is, this might be scary, but we just invite you, Lord, would you use me to tell others the good news? Would you make us really good at telling others the good news? So, Father, would you just renew our minds? We, we yield ourselves to you, Lord, and we say, would you, would you help us, give us understanding? Father, I pray right now over King's Church. I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open the eyes of our hearts that we would see how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that as we see it, we would absorb it into our hearts and it would overflow onto our lips and into our relationships. So Lord, we thank you. We, your sons and daughters, thank you. We pray you go with us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.